Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the episode, we have a conversation about the incarnation taking root. Scott, it kind of feels like it's been a while since we've jumped back into a regular rhythm of doing a more normal podcast episode for us, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It has been a while, and uh, we've had a good time on other topics, but uh, yeah. uh, this kind of this Kingdom Roots podcast has to move in different directions. We can't just get stuck in a rut here. Yeah, I got to keep it fresh. So we've been busy with all sorts of things like webinars and um, different things. So if you didn't get a chance to be on the webinar and check that out, I'd encourage you to go to Northern's website. I'll include a link in the notes too if you wanted to um, hear Scott and I's conversation about atonement theory. Great conversation, a lot of insights, a lot of great questions from many of you listeners, which I appreciate. And if you were on the webinar, uh, you know, we promised a a couple episodes talking about the atonement. So um, that will be coming up uh, in the new year. So stay tuned for that. Um, But yeah, we're talking about the incarnation today, huh, Scott? Yes, yes, incarnation. So one of the things that isn't probably the most exciting way <laughs> to talk or dive into a topic, but often it's the most helpful and sometimes needed is to talk definitions. So uh, just to get started, w- how would you define the incarnation, I guess? Well, I mean, I think there's probably some very sophisticated discussions uh, by systematic theologians on how to define incarnation, but I'm not a systematic theologian. And, uh, so I, I would not, um, I'm not going to try to trade in that discussion, but I would define the incarnation as, um, as the revelation of God in history taking on new form in the incarnation or the making uh, or the um, embodiment of God in the Son. So the incarnation is God becoming flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I believe that uh, that this idea of incarnation needs to be seen in the context of several themes in the Bible, but in particular, the theme of revelation. In the Old Testament, uh, in the history of God and his redemptive work with the people of Israel, is that God reveals himself, say, for instance, with um, Adam and Eve in the garden. He reveals himself with Abraham uh, in forming a covenant. He reveals himself to David, uh, giving him rev- or to Moses, giving him revelation from Mount Sinai. Um, he reveals himself by describing his name, I am who I am, in Exodus 3.14. And we have these sorts of manifestations of God in a pillar of cloud, uh, a pillar of um, a cloud and fire. We have the manifestation of God in the formation of the tabernacle, which becomes the temple. So we have all these various forms of revelation in the, in the Bible. In the incarnation, what we have is the belief, the act of God, where his revelation becomes fuller 
and more complete and definitive. So the revelation of God by incarnation becomes the defining revelation of God in the pages of the Bible. So that what God was doing previously, God has now done more completely in a fulfilled way in the revelation of his son. So this is the the message of incarnation is that God has revealed himself most fully and completely in embodiment, in becoming human. And I think that would be the fundamental form of uh, a fun- fundamental meaning of incarnation. Yeah, I like how you, you take that definition because I think that approach kind of redefines our, our starting points, I guess, a little bit in understanding God to some extent. Uh, and the fact that when we talk about and think about the incarnation, I think a lot of times our approach is that we come into it feeling that Jesus has to measure up to God, and and there's this list of things that he has to, criteria that he has to meet in our, our mind for him to be the incarnation, when in reality, I think, um, and you, maybe you can correct me or clarify if I'm wrong, that it's about us seeing Jesus as, just like you said, the full revelation and revealing of God. And our view of God then is shaped around that, not vice versa. Now, it's still consistent, but it still is the clearest revelation. One of of the things uh, I think that is, it's fair to say, and at least it puts a very important topic on the table, and that is, it is common for people to say, to ask the question, is Jesus God? And how do they do this? They examine who God is, what God must be. They examine Old Testament references, if they're Christians or if they're Jews, and they they look at Exodus 3.14, and they look at uh, passages about Yahweh in the Bible, and they look at all the things that are said about God. And then they look at Jesus, and they say, does Jesus live up to the expectations or Uh, definitions or manifestations of God, revelations of God in the Old Testament. And if he does, we can say he's God. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a a Christian approach to this that kind of reverses that a bit. And that is this, is that we don't ask if Jesus meets our definitions, although I do think there's something to that. Mm -hmm. We instead say, we know who God is in Jesus, and therefore we see God in the pages of the Old Testament. Uh, this is a little bit of an apocalyptic Paul approach to no, things. I was going to say that. Uh, but it is, it, is, um, it is a fundamentally important category for us to understand the significance of, of the incarnation in revealing who God is. So... Yeah, my, I, you know, I'm uh, when I when I start uh, discussing systematic theologically <laughs> sophisticated topics, I get a little nervous because I'm a New Testament Bible guy, and I know in the history sure. of interpretation and in systematic theology, there have been all kinds of things that have been said, and some of these things can become heresies quicker than than I care for them to be. Sure. But go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I think maybe you won't have much to add to this then, then, um, if that's, you know, 
obviously something to be mindful of and to take into consideration. But when we think about Christian theology or maybe just understanding, uh, maybe a different way to say this would be to understanding following Jesus in general, why is it that the incarnation is so important to following Jesus? One of the great uh, lines in the history of Christian thinking, uh, Chaz, was uh, was this. It, it, it goes something like this. Um, he became what we are so that we might become what he is. Yeah. Now, in Eastern theology, this becomes the doctrine of Christosis or theosis. Uh, and that's a little bit more complex topic and a little bit outside the conversation. But it's fundamental in the history of Christian theology to understand that he became what we are. So he became human, uh, the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, the Son of God, becomes what we are. And therefore, God has fully identified himself with us. And in this very important ontological sense, he knows us. Uh, in a way that makes us fully known. Mm-hmm. Um, then there is a, a further idea that is developed in this early Christian theological conversation, and that is that uh, only what is assumed can be redeemed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the idea that if he didn't, if, if God doesn't become what we are, then we can't be redeemed. And one of the early Christian theologians says, you know, he becomes a child, he becomes a young man, he becomes a middle-aged man, etc. He becomes, you know, he becomes all these things so that he can redeem all these things. Mm-hmm. So only what is assumed can be redeemed. This becomes then uh, important for the doctrine of redemption. And one of the sad things in in much of Christian theology, is that Jesus's redemption is reduced, his redemptive work, is reduced to what he did, let's say, on Good Friday, or maybe what he did on Good Friday and Easter. Yeah. And you don't get much more redemption than that. But in the Eastern Church, and this is where, I, and I don't want to just say this is the Eastern Church, but it's because of their emphasis, in the history of solid Orthodox Christian theology, and this is characteristic of all Christians who are thinking well with the history of the church. And that is that um, uh, that he, he, he became everything that we are uh, so that we could be redeemed. The doctrine of salvation is, is, is connected to our understanding of incarnation. So Jesus doesn't redeem us simply by dying for our sin. His dying for our sin is one facet of his incarnation. So that the death, let's say this, his birth, his incarnation, his birth, his life, his teachings, his actions, his words, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his return— are all dimensions of that incarnational revelation of God in Christ so that we could be redeemed. The redemption that is reduced to the cross is not a redemption of our fullness, of our embodied existence, 
It is a redemption only in a sense as an erasure of our sins. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I've, I've not made that connection. I'm really glad you bring that up. And it, it brings to mind something uh, that my friend Casey Taggart, I was a pastor with him here at Parkview for a while, and he's now up at a church in, in Rockford. And uh, when he was a spiritual formation pastor in our formation classes, he would like to ask a lot, um, do you realize that Jesus lived the best possible life that anybody could live? And I remember being in, in that class, sitting there and sometimes helping him teach and, and be like, man, I, I never really, I guess, thought about it in, in that way, that Jesus lived the best life that anybody could live, that he experienced and he, he showed us the way, he taught us in a sense, um, all that life could be and what it really truly meant to be human um, in God's original intent in creation. And I think I think that totally goes into, you know, your point about that's what salvation is. It's not just a ticket to heaven or an exit plan and strategy at, at for the end of our life. It's the fullness of life that God has always intended us for us to live. And we really can't get that and understand that unless the incarnation is something that's central to us in our understanding. Yeah, I mean, I think it is it is it is not uh Un, it is not unorthodox to say that redemption is humanization. Yeah. It is to become fully human. But when we say that, we we have to get to incarnation, is that Jesus becomes, let's say, he, he takes on something that he did not previously have, and that is our human nature, mm-hmm. and he becomes what we are. Mm-hmm. And that means that he uh, he becomes what we are and what we are intended to be, and we are to become what he is, which yeah. is full human humanization. Yeah. Uh, so the so Christmas is uh, is better than uh, Christmas stories. It's better than a Christmas tree. Uh-huh. Uh, it's better than a Christmas service. It is. Uh, God's ultimate message about the significance of humanity, the significance of our physical bodies, of our embodiment, Mm -hmm. and the significance of God reaching into our life so that we might become all that we were designed to be and to see in Jesus all that we were designed to be. So, yes, I, I agree with Casey. I know Casey. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's, that's important is that he, is a, a perfect exemplification of what humanity is. Uh, but I would want to contextualize that into this whole theme of incarnation. Yeah, totally. And in your response, you mentioned this season of Advent and um, Christmas time, this, you know, celebration, all the different cultural ways we do that. But for the church, this has obviously been an important time in the church calendar and in our rhythms and the season of Advent for us going through a time of, of preparing and longing for the coming or the incarnation of Christ. Why do you think it's so important for the church to prepare well during this season and, and really dig into um, what we as a as a community of faith believers in Jesus um, need to be doing to to make this season all that it could be? Yeah, let, let me start with this. I grew up in a world where this whole idea of Advent 
was a foreign language, so foreign that we thought it was wrong. In other words, we thought that why would we prepare for the coming of Jesus when he's already come? Yeah. That's that one. That chapter has been written. We're moving forward now. Uh All right. So I grew up in that world. All right. Now, I want to talk about that a little bit. In my own uh, journey, um, I uh, I saw in the pages of the Bible the recitation on a yearly basis, annually in the Old Testament, the importance of of reliving and remembering the uh, great acts of God in history. So in Israel's calendar, they do Passover every year. Mm -hmm. They do Purim every year. Mm -hmm. They do Rosh Hashanah. They do all these great events every year. Why? Because uh, God thinks that the people of God needs to keep returning to its roots in order to understand who it is in God's plan. So therefore, I became convinced that the church calendar is nothing other than the Christianization of the Jewish calendar. Mm -hmm. It's not that we need to shed the Jewish calendar because these events uh, are valuable as well. I I used to put the, the Jewish events in my in my uh, course schedule yeah. at my, in my students at North Park. And a couple students just said to me, what is this in here for? It's a total waste of space. I never know what's going on. Would you bring so, a shofar in? And yeah. you like no, the whole no, thing? I didn't do oh. that. No, all I did was put it in the, in the syllabus. Oh, just so uh, they knew. Just so they would know what's uh. going on during the, during the calendar uh, months. But they just... It didn't make any sense. So well, I want to see you bring a shofar in sometime. No, I, I have no interest in the shofar. <laughs> but here's here's the point. I believe that returning to the calendar is our way of forming our identity in Christ, mm-hmm. is a way, and it is important to that formation. My belief is that the 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 farther we get from the repetition or the annual recitation of the major events in the life of Jesus, the farther we get from those, the farther we will get from the truth of those. Hmm. So we will end up emphasizing only the things that we value. But if the calendar tells us what's important in the year, then we don't get to decide what's important. God's revelation of himself in the incarnation called Jesus Christ becomes the foundation of our calendar. And that's why I believe that Advent, Christmas, mm-hmm. Epiphany, mm-hmm. Lent, uh, Pentecost, ordinary time, all these things are fundamental for Christians to understand the uh, the calendar of God in the incarnation. Mm-hmm. So I believe Advent uh, is something I, I've learned uh, as an Anglican in the last uh, five years, I've learned over and over the value of this calendar for reminding us of what is important. But this is this is the critical thing. When these things tell you what is important in the calendar, let's say Advent, other things are not as important. That is so important to understand. And that is 
When we focus on Advent for a month and Christmas for a day, mm-hmm. we focus on the texts that teach us to long for Jesus rather than just, let's say, four Christmas sermons. Or I was invited not long ago to speak, I chose no, um, to speak at a church during December about angels. Mm -hmm. And I said to the pastor, that's Advent. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me like, who cares? And I thought to myself, I cares. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm not coming. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, because I think this is a time where that's what we need to focus on, nothing else. Mm-hmm. And this becomes foundational. Then, In other words, when you let the calendar of Jesus, the church calendar, the life of Jesus is what the church calendar is about. When you let the life of Jesus shape your year, other things don't shape your year. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. So our new year is really, you know, you could say it's Christmas, it's Advent, it's the Advent season, um, and we don't have uh, holidays uh, the same way that we have other holidays. We now have Christmas, uh, we have Christian holidays that shape our year rather than secular holidays that shape our year. We have calendrical colors that shape our Christmas uh purple and blue, uh, royal colors, rather than green and red. Now, it's pretty hard to get rid of green and red during Christmas season. Sure. <laughs> uh, and even in our own home, we have green, some green and red. Uh-huh. But these, uh, uh, these things can shape us. So I'm, I know I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself here, but I, I believe that the calendar is fundamental, and that calendar tells us that the incarnation the fullness of the incarnation of the life of Jesus determines the fullness of our calendar. Yeah, and I think that's the place to start, obviously, in understanding the incarnation. is we, I don't think we really will ever understand it unless it's bringing that transformation, Is if I were to sum it up in a word of what you're talking about, um, because of, the, of paying attention and um, um, being willing to let the things of God and Jesus's story shape our life and our um, church's life. But when we do that, I think the, the the place that it has to lead us to is into mission. And I think it seems like with you know, just thinking about the incarnation as a whole and the mission of God in that, um, I wonder if you have any thoughts on how incarnation can and should shape mission for our church and for, I guess, really it's the um, the greater kingdom of God and what he's doing. All right. Let me, um, let me uh, try to clarify something here. I, th- I hear people talk about incarnational ministry, and I get really curious. I want to know what they mean by incarnation when they're talking about incarnational mission. And this is what I hear them saying. We want to get connected to our local community. And then I hear language like this. We want to discern what God is doing in our local community and participate in what God is doing. Mm -hmm. Now, this sounds really cool. Um, It also, to me, sounds goofy and theologically promiscuous. Mm -hmm. All right. So I want to put it this way. If we're going to take the incarnation 
seriously. And we're going to talk about incarnational ministry. And I talk about this in my book, Kingdom Conspiracy. Um, if we're going to take incarnation seriously and talk about incarnational mission and ministry, then we're going to let the incarnation of Jesus define what incarnational means. And what is it? It is the self-sacrifice of the Son of God to take upon himself the form of a servant to the point of a cross and death in order to redeem human beings. So to me, incarnation and incarnational ministry or mission means that we surrender who we are for the sake of the redemption of others. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't think that the aim or even the mode of operation in incarnational ministry or mission is to discern what God is doing as if we can discern somehow through some kind of intuitive uh, grasp of things mm -hmm. of what God is doing. We know what God is doing. That is made manifest in the incarnation, in Christ himself. Mm -hmm. So we know what God is doing is he is glorifying himself through his son in this world who has revealed the goodness of God and the grace of God and the redemption of God and incarnational ministry. That means is, first of all, drawing people to Jesus Christ through evangelism and worship and discipleship. So to me, uh, uh, it does shape mission, mm -hmm. but it shapes mission differently than the way many people mm. say it is when they say instead of being attractional, we're going to be incarnational. I mean, who is going to opt for attractional when the opposite is incarnational? Yeah. But it's right there that I want to know what does incarnational mean? And if it means, well, I'm going to start listening to what God is doing in my community and what God is doing right now is he is, um, uh, and I've heard some really goofy things here, so I won't, I won't mention them for fear that names might come up. Sure. Uh, but I, I get really nervous theologically and biblically when people start saying we're going to discern what God is doing. I think the first step is to say we know what God has done in incarnation in Christ and whatever God is doing in the world today is going to look like what God has done in Christ. So therefore, the incarnational ministry and mission is shaped by the incarnation itself rather than by our intuitive grasp uh, and discernment of what we think God might be doing in our community. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's good to clarify. And I think so if I'm hearing you right, you would say that we couldn't have incarnational mission without focusing on redemption and kind of starting there and understanding the, the first the, re, the, the redemption that that incarnation brings through the community and, and God's intention with that. And yes, yeah, evangelism and all of those different expressions of that mission are um, flowing out of that. But, but you can't, you can't go beyond that. You can't, you can't put the cart before the horse with that. Well, to me, yeah, I, I would say that uh, if we are going to, yeah, I would say that what we need to do is know 
that it's going to be redemption in Christ is what incarnational ministry looks like. It's going to reflect and be what God did in Christ in the incarnation. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, so I guess to kind of wrap up here, two things that have been rattling around in my mind for uh, our conversation uh, has been, one, in thinking about the incarnation and its implications. Uh, it, one of the things that kind of drives me nuts is um, when people kind of get up all, all in arms about uh, Jesus is the reason for the season and, you know, we have to work to keep Christ in Christmas. And I understand their intention and their their desire in that and and um, and. And, and I guess I admire that in a sense, but I think it, it misses the point when we, if we were to bring it back to incarnation, um, I've heard a, a preacher say before that Jesus isn't the reason for the season. I think the incarnation shows us we are. If we bring this back to redemption, if we bring this back to the community, um, certainly we focus on him, but his focus in coming to the world and the uniqueness of the incarnation of God becoming man is because it was for our redemption, that he has a plan for us. That's the best thing that we could ever possibly hope for. And that makes us the reason for the season, and that makes us the the reason for which he came. Not to make it selfish or um, arrogant or anything like that, but um, to acknowledge the fact that this this is, at least for me and how I frame it up, the implication of the incarnation. So I wonder if you have any closing thoughts or anything well, to add to that or clarify. Chaz, I'm, I'm a little nervous with that. Okay. Uh, I don't think we are the reason for the season. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think that, I, I think that, uh, keeping Jesus in Christmas. Sure. Uh, the Jesus is the reason for the season. That sounds to me like political rhetoric of people yeah. who want to reclaim the United States yeah. for Christianity and stuff like that. Well, no, uh, I I think that's misguided, and I think that's getting things out of distortion. Uh, but there, Jesus is the reason for the season, and that and the Advent is about Jesus. Yeah. And Christmas is about Jesus, and this is my King Jesus Gospel uh, project is for us to realize that the gospel is a message about Jesus, not about us. Yeah. But yes, the incarnation is is a, a message about God's revelation to us in Christ of the fullness of God's revelation for us. But that revelation, that Christ, the incarnation, is redemptive. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the benefit of incarnation, the benefit of revelation in Christ, the benefit of Christmas is that God becomes what we are so that we can become what he is, so that we can be redeemed. So redemption is the benefit of Christmas and incarnation. Um, So uh, I'm not sure if that was what uh, the person was getting at. Uh, Yes, it is not just, there is something being said about us when we start talking about incarnation, Mm -hmm. is that God did this in order to redeem us. Uh, it is not a message about us. It's a message about God, but yeah. we are the, we are the benefactors of what God is doing, uh, in Christ. Yeah, that's good. I think great, great conversation. You know, we talk about the kingdom taking root now, obviously we, we've hit on this multiple times already, but this is, this is an essential part of being able to, um, bring that um, truth to reality and that desire to reality. So um, I wonder 
to send us on our way. Do you got any closing thoughts, Scott, about the incarnation taking root? Well, you know, I think I've said I, I've said what what I wanted to say, but the, uh, I would say this again: in Advent, um, at this time of year, let us let us uh, realize that the fullness of redemption in Christ, the cross and the resurrection, um, are dimensions of incarnation that God has become what we are. He has become human so that humans can be lifted from their sinfulness and become fully human and become uh, redeemed by God and become uh, and form union with God as he formed union with us so we can form union with God uh, through him. So incarnation uh, is the is the reason for the season. <laughs> there we go. We'll end with that. Yeah. that. That is good. Well, thank you, Scott. And thank you, listeners, for joining us again for another episode. We're always grateful to have you with us and um, to be a part of this community. Also, great, always grateful as well for the different ways you share on social media and interact and engage with us on the podcast. Um, and it's just fun to get to do and to see how far our roots are spread all, all really all across the world. So thank you for joining and, and participating in that. And we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 